Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to remind you that the show is also available on YouTube. And starting from episode number 101, it's all in 4K. I'm trying to make the best video podcast I can, so definitely check it out and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Go to youtube.com slash at progressionspod or hit the link in the show notes. If you're not getting enough progressions and you want to get even more thoughts on creativity, productivity, and growth in music, then you should sign up for my newsletter. You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful. So it should be fun. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferrance.com slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome to Progression, success in the music industry. I'm your host, Travis Ferrance, and this is episode number 60. Super fun episode coming at you today. It's definitely in the running for most laughs on the show so far. Our guest is an extremely talented engineer, and we hit topics like getting correct phase in your guitar recordings, engineering while you're producing, the importance of staying musical, and working at one of the homes of rock and roll, the classic Sound City. But first, I wanted to do an intro on a quick tip that can really help you stay on track for completing your projects and hitting your goals. Now, at some point in our lives, we've all had a job. Whether it was music-related or not, you went to work, you knew what you were supposed to do, you did it, and you went home. Even if you were working as a runner in a studio, you basically had a list of what needed to be done for your day to be complete. Other than tending to clients' needs, you were probably doing things like vacuuming the room, sharpening the pencils, making coffee, stocking supplies, etc. So jump forward in your career, you've worked your way through the ranks of the studio and out into the world as a freelancer, or maybe you've left your licensing job to start your own company or stopped working with the composer you apprenticed under or start doing your show, whatever it is. Do you still have that job description? Do you still know what needs to be done for your day to be, quote, complete? Now, I'm guessing when you're mid-project, you might have a better idea of when the day is done, but maybe not so much when you're between gigs. But regardless, I want to share a really easy and obvious way that you can stay on track. It's going to be laughable, but if you have just stepped out on your own after working a decade of your life in a job that was structured, this could help you a lot. So here's my groundbreaking, life-changing tip. End your day early and plan tomorrow. That's it. I know, it sounds a bit basic, but it's easy to get into the habit of never doing this. And if you never try this, you'll never know how big of a difference it can make. And I'll be honest, I myself go back and forth with this, but lately I've been extremely diligent about it because I have a lot of projects that I need to bring to a close before the arrival of my wife and I's first child, which could happen really at any minute. I mean, there's even maybe a small chance I don't finish this episode, so hopefully you're listening to this on Wednesday when you're supposed to. But anyway, back to the point, by planning my next day at the end of my current one, I've had two things happen. I've gotten a significant amount of work done for one, and I've also had a much reduced stress level at the end of my day. It's like I've given myself permission to stop working by checking up on what I did and what needs to happen next. Think about all the time you spend deciding what to do. Now, Imagine walking into your studio or sitting down at your computer and knowing exactly what needs to be done. It's like when you had your first job. You knew when you came in, you did thing A. Then after that, you did thing B. And then before you could go home, you knew you had to do thing C. You didn't do stuff like leave the shop door unlocked with the cash register open or the candles burning. And if you did, you were probably pretty stressed when you got home wondering if you burnt the place down. So the most obvious benefit to this is like I just mentioned, you don't have to expend energy or waste time trying to figure out what needs to be done. But I think the more important thing that planning your tomorrow does is it kind of allows you the freedom to have your day end. Example time, let's say you're self-producing your own record and that you're really good at getting into work mode, but you're not really a day planner. Maybe you start your day working on some lyrics, then you do a vocal and comp it, Then you move on to some guitar parts on another song, then edit those. Then you go back to check out that vocal again. You think that you can beat it, so you sing that again. Then you're editing that. Next thing you know, it's 2 a.m. and you're falling asleep at your laptop. Let's be honest, you did a lot of work, but you didn't finish anything. And you may not even remember what you actually did because it was so disjointed. All you know is that when you woke up the next morning, you felt like you didn't accomplish very much. Now, 
What if you set out a plan for your day? First priority, finish lyrics on song A and put a scratch vocal down. Second priority, put down a final lead vocal on song B. You'd be starting your day off with a focus and a target. After you knock out those lyrics and you lay down a quick scratch, you can jump right into vocals on song B. With your voice warmed up a bit from the scratch, I might add. So then you get a comp that you love on that. You take a break. You listen to it again. You punch a few lines in. Maybe even add some doubles or harmonies while your mind is in that song and you're in vocal record mode. Now you might remember a friend was having a birthday dinner and you can decide to call it a day because you crushed everything you wanted to do and you can go out free of the stress of feeling like you didn't accomplish anything because you actually accomplished everything. Or maybe you want to lay down a guitar solo on another song and not only feel like you knocked out your top priorities for the day, but that you got even more done than you planned on. Talk about energizing, right? So to wrap it up, if you don't do this, I encourage you to give it a try. The act of ending your day by reviewing what you did and planning tomorrow will help you stay on track as well as give you the permission to be done working and hence avoid the 24-hour work cycle that entrepreneurs and creatives can get sucked into. Today's guest is Grammy-nominated, Los Angeles-based producer, engineer, and mixer Paul Fig. Paul is known for being a go-to tracking engineer, especially in the world of hard rock. Some of his credits include... AFI, Jerry Cantrell, Slipknot, Rush, Alice in Chains, Bush, and the Deftones. He also currently owns and operates the studio Dave's Room in North Hollywood, and he plays music as well. He started his career signed to Virgin, playing in the band Amen, and continues making music now in the form of writing for TV and film. One of his latest projects, Jerry Cantrell's Brighton, just released on October 29th. Paul co-produced and engineered that one, so we've got all that, plus the guy's an epic hang. So welcome to the show, Paul Fig. Paul, what's up, man? How are you? Thanks for that awesome introduction. Yeah, I'm great. <laughs> Doing good. And the sun's out and sky's clear. Things are okay. I know. It's super nice in, in uh, California today. Yeah, it's gorgeous. <laughs> really uh, just want to go outside. But when was the last time we saw each other? Oh, man. Was it somebody's birthday at the barbecue place? Or was that a, oh. or was that a ceremony thing? Oh, well, that was a long time ago. I hope yeah. we saw each other somewhere since then. <laughs> we, well, that then was. Maybe, maybe at, at uh, you're in Corey's space. Yeah, probably. Probably somewhere. Passing in the mate's parking lot. Yep. It's good to see you again, dude. How are things? Good. Just been busy. Just, you know, we got this uh, Cantrell record finally out and uh, just been part of the press machine for that, too. So it's been just kind of a wild week. Nice. Oh, because that's like literally a couple days ago. We're recording this on uh, November 3rd. Yes. It, so that uh, record just dropped. Yeah, on Friday, last Friday. Nice. Awesome. I was checking it out. It sounds, uh, it sounds killer. So before we like, uh, we hit your story, you want to talk about that record a bit since it's like, it's fresh and, and cool? Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been, I guess we can start at the beginning. 2008, Nick Raskulenix, you know, was like, you know, hey, Fig, how do you feel about recording a, a new Alice in Chains record? And I was like, who's going to sing? And I was like, absolutely. Like, you, you know, and then I heard <laughs> check my brain and I'm like, absolutely. This, this is going to be insane. Uh, so, uh, you know, I built a relationship from Jerry back then. And, you know, this is now my fourth record with him. And, uh, you know, he came off the Rainier Fog tour and, you know, Hey, I want to start my solo record. It's time. And, uh, you know, so we just dove right into demos and just fleshing things out and riff mining. And then next thing you know, we're in the studio and, uh, you know, moving really fast. Actually, you know, it's like drums was four days, guitars, 11. And then we set up okay. at his house for, you know, vocals and anything we missed in the studio. That's awesome. Yeah. And this was started pre-pandemic, but you guys somehow managed to wrap it during the, the whole disaster. <laughs> yeah, so right after the Rainier Fog, what was that, fall 2019? Then we kind of kicked it into high gear because all of a sudden he'd booked these, you know, two Pico Union shows. So he had to scramble and put a band together. They had to learn right. his old material and get out there. But yeah, it was just really fun. Yeah, so uh, we actually wrapped guitars up at Dave's room right when the pandemic lockdown started. So... okay. You know, we took a couple of weeks off just to kind of make sure nobody was coming down with symptoms because everybody was freaking out. It's like, oh, I've got a scratch in my throat or I don't feel, you know, <laughs> oh, what's happening? So uh, yeah. we were taking our time and, uh, you know, if, hey, I'm not feeling too sharp today uh, or, you know, I'm going to take a couple of days and figure out what's happening. And then sure enough, it's just like dealing with 
allergies or pollen or whatever. <laughs> and right. it's like, you know, I haven't had a cold in like two years now. So it's kind of, you know, I'm really sensitive to what's that? You know, I just moved up to Sunland. So there's like all sorts of new trees and pollen and dust and oh, yeah. I'm learning to deal with. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I did the same thing uh, for the last two years. Every time my allergies <laughs> set in, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I got it. Crazy. Get the doctor on the phone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that that's uh, that's awesome. So then uh, you guys, how long did it end up taking to, to wrap the whole thing up? We were 90% done by June. You know, taking our okay. time, like we were 90% done and then we'd go back in and, you know, uh, Jerry just kind of took like a month and a half off and uh, there was radio silence for a bit. And then, and then, you know, he, he got back and he's like, I want to do this Elton John cover. And I was like, I know just the guy. Do you know Vince Jones? Do you know him? No, personally, oh, no, I, no. I met him through Matt Wallace ages ago from Sound City. And uh, he's just such a remarkable talent. And, you know, so I had him play a couple of tracks on the record because one, we needed it. Then two, this Elton John thing. I'm like, well, who else better, you know? And right. uh, he just dove in and just crushed it like in, you know, half a day. Then we, me and Jerry went back to his house and, you know, he, you know, I've got the, the chord chart, which is transposed to piano because Jerry tunes everything down. Of course, right. we didn't tune the piano down. So <laughs> trying to look at the chart and tell him the chords on the fly was pretty wild. So, uh, that, you know, it was, it was interesting, fun, actually. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really good. What was the last you, time you had to uh, pick up a score and, like, read or cue somebody? I, yeah, not, <laughs> not for, like, a decade. Yeah. <laughs> it's like just uh, reading scores, like running Pro Tools at Capital, like you're following the big band. And, like I, yeah, just counting I'm measures. I'm so bad at reading. Exactly, right. I'm, I'm looking for the whole note that I yeah. can follow. I'm like, okay, so this, this horn's playing whole notes. I can follow that. <laughs> Drop awesome. in on what bar? Hey, that's a good yeah. trick. <laughs> it is. Yeah, for anybody that can't read music, yeah. just figure it out enough that you can follow the one thing. Yeah. Yeah, count four a lot. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, that was... I don't know. It's helpful though. Like when you're in those situations and you can be like, Hey, you know, jump to bar 62. We're going to give us two bars of pre-roll. You just, it makes running Pro Tools easier. You're like, yeah. this is great. No, absolutely. I was going to ask you, you talked about doing all these demos with Jerry, like in the pop world, a lot of our listeners are in the electronic pop world. The demos like, you know, super close to the finished record. Like when you're in the rock space, like how much of, how much of day one demoing ends up making it to the record? Is it still the same philosophy of like, let's get everything as good as we can, we'll replace it if we need to? It's, well, we're moving quick. So, uh, yeah, we're getting it as good as we can, but, you know, we have a process. So, you know, Jerry, whether he has a tune in mind or not, like, you know, I, I sit there every day and wait until something bubbles up off his fretboard. So, you know, I've either got a click or I whip up a, a quick drum beat. And right. I'll drop markers, we'll pick out the riff, we'll make a rough arrangement and then he'll he'll sit and drive around with that for a couple of days until he's got a melody then once that's kind of in place you know i'll find a, a friend of mine and we'll track real drums okay and then he cuts back to that because it feels totally different then he'll start really working on a vocal performance and getting his flavor guitars together you know we're working in his bedroom with a kemper which sounds great but it's not right. the same as firing up like the arsenal we had at Dave's room. So, you know, but it was cool because I could help shape how, what tones we were going to use before we got to the studio. So I was right. able to like create like a map for each song. And it was, you know, I had to keep lots of notes because this thing took, you know, it was fast and it took a long, you know, a long time before we got in there. Yeah. 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 Well, note taking. Uh, you know, I, I cheated on my research. I listened to your episode of Working Class Audio this morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I, lo I love Matt's show. I'm yeah, glad, he's great. glad you were on there. It's, it's great. Uh, but like note-taking, you were talking about, you know, your days at Sound City uh, is so key for like assistance and people that were like in that analog band tracking realm. You're just writing down what, guitars, uh, pedals, everything for for all these songs? I mean, back in Sound City, I mean, that was my, my only job because 
there was an engineer. So I was making, because <laughs> right. I didn't want the engineer, the producer to go, hey, we need to get the, back to that guitar sound or that whatever that vocal chain was. Can we get there? And if I don't, if I say no, I mean, like I'm the representative for Sound City. So it's like all of a sudden we're dropping the ball and I'm not going to be that guy. But so for Jerry, it was pretty simple. It was just mainly guitar flavors. So, you know, a telly through a chimey type of sound or, you know, his Les Paul through something not so blown out, but you can still hear the tone of the guitar. More yeah. like that. So I kept notes on all that in the scribble strips in Pro Tools and, you know, in the comments. So then yeah, later right. I had to go down, okay, it was basically like the basic roadmap of how we were going to track. Because, I mean, 10 days, you know, we did, we tracked 14 songs, nine made the record. But, you know, 14 songs with all, you know, Jerry Cantrell just doesn't play one guitar and then that's it. There's <laughs> a left, a right, a center, there's flavor guitars, there's, I mean, like, it's, you know, there's as many guitars as our vocals and harmonies. So it's, yeah. I got to keep track of all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's really good. You know, I, I have to, I have to share that I golfed with Jerry once. Oh, rad. Cause, uh, you know, Martin Cook, uh, we have a mutual oh, yeah, friend yeah. And, and, and they used to golf all the time. Anyway, I hit one of my best shots playing with him. Like I hold out from like 150 <laughs> or like 140. Wow. And like little, you know, guitar player, middle school, Travis was like, I just hit the best golf shot ever. I'm playing with Jerry. This is the shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Awesome. I, I've, yet anyway. to, I've yet to get on the course with him because uh, I think it was during uh, Devil Put Dinosaurs here, we were holed up at Ocean, and he was just like, hey, let's go drive some balls up at DeBell. And I'm like, all right. And I'm like, I don't yeah. play golf. And he's like, here, I'll show you. And we got a bucket of balls. And he's just like, you know, he's like, oh, man. <laughs> he's like, you shoot pretty straight. He's like, yeah, I, I can't wait to get you on the course. And I'm like, okay. That's awesome. Yeah, but uh, Martin took that job because <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm not Martin. getting up that early. <laughs> <laughs> it's like i'm right in the That's middle right. of a record i i need to sleep That's, yeah is is ocean still around mm, i want to say no it's, i feel like it's not they're, if they, yeah, are, they're they really need to up their 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 promo yeah no no they're they're gone i know greg ruoff and uh he he was telling me how it kind of moved on i don't think the business was worth more than the property it was sitting on yeah, right. Because they put that giant hotel next to it, which probably didn't help. That's that the last time help. I was there. Yeah, that didn't yeah. help with their business because that just, you know, I don't know if anybody out there realizes what happens when you build next to a recording studio. All that sound goes right into <laughs> everything. Like, everything. Every, yeah. So like, like, was, we were up at uh, Studio X doing Rainier Fog, and we didn't know at the time, but the Nordstroms who owned that building were having like surveyors come down and do core samples of underneath the building. So all of a sudden oh, we're wow. trying to we're, we're trying to record acoustic guitars and there's a drill like I can hear it in the control room humming which makes everything sound out of tune like what I'm listening to and it was just serious distraction. So I don't know if you were trying to work there at Ocean during during construction what a nightmare that might have been. No, no, we weren't there during construction, but we were there when kind of everybody was bummed that it, it was going to start, you know, it was yeah. going to start clearing that lot next to it. But that was a cool studio. I enjoyed that place. It yeah. Was good. Massive Lots, drum room. But <laughs> huge drum room. Yeah, it totally. And massive patch bay as well. If you yeah, talk yeah. About, like, the bank yeah. vault hinges on there. <laughs> totally. Totally. All right. So we've talked about golf, core samples, Jerry Cantrell. Yeah. Let's go. Uh, let's go back to uh, how, how'd you get into music, man? How'd, how'd you get started? Well, so my parents had a jazz club back in the day growing up. So I was oh, surrounded dope. by music pretty much my whole life. Then, you know, my neighborhood friends all of a sudden, you got to hear this record. And it was Van Halen one, you know, I'd listened to radio, but not that. And that just blew me away. And I'm like, I have to be able to, I like my brain melted and I just had to just learn how to destroy guitar, period, you know? And so I just wanted to learn everything <laughs> about music. So that started me on my path. And, you know, from junior high, I was in orchestra, like, and then high school was in, you know, mostly music classes and, you know, got all, you know, just kind of crushed it through high school and then did a couple of years at Pasadena City College. And then I went to Dick Grove School of Jazz and, and then I went on tour with the punk band and I did a thing with HR from Bad Brains. And next thing I know, I... I mean, uh, amen. Nice. Yeah, and that was a you know a slugfest for five years, and then we then we got signed to Roadrunner. 
Then they dropped. Well, we we got out of our contract, and then uh, we signed with Virgin. Went around the world a couple of times, and you know, and then Casey Chaos was you know falling off the rails. So I just happened to be. We happened to be at Sound City doing our record, and that's where I made the jump. That's awesome. That's cool. Well, how old were you then? Switching out of playing in a band to jumping on. The I studio? was thirty-two. Okay, so it's kind of like I feel like a lot of shit happens at thirty. Like your brain kind of flips over. So yeah, you were you in the middle of like just kind of a a mental shift anyway, and you were like, "Cool studio, dope. Let's do this." Well, yeah, my mom had just passed, and I had been, you know, it's like when I first joined the band, Casey was a straight edge guy, and he was super cool and fun, and turned me on to a lot of cool music, and you know, and then you know, I worked at this place, American Rag, and after work, just go straight to rehearsal. I'm just beating my guitar all night. And, you know, we get, we get to do some cool shows and, uh, you know, it was fun. But then as soon as we got signed, something just kind of snapped and he just started drinking more and taking more pills and just reading his own press and just drinking his own uh. Kool-Aid. And, and then it wasn't about the band anymore. And, and that's, I didn't want to be part of that. It's, you know, Hey, you can do that on your own. Yeah. I can, I need to do something for myself. And I was really, impressed with uh there was this guy mike terry who worked at sound city and i'm like you know i, I was doing all the demos for casey at, in his garage and i'm making the connection i'm like okay so we're micing up the drums we've got mike frazier in there and mike terry's making these patches and i'm looking at the the mics and the mic pre's and the eq and then these compressors and then we're going to the tape machine and we're hitting these headphone amps and i'm like okay and i'm like you know hey you know i started hammering him like you know oh man i'd really love to come down here and you know, intern over the winter break. And, you know, cause we're, we weren't touring and right. cause that was the only time we made money. Cause I can make $40 a day per diem. And that was it. Like that was my life. <laughs> oh, so, no. you know, I quit. Amen. I called Siobhan. I'm like, so what do I need to do? Drop by a resume or something? She's like, you're hired. You can come in when these guys leave. <laughs> and so, you know, I did. So, uh, that was the, that was the fun thing. And all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, all these hours I've been hanging out here in this cool studio, I'm going to get paid for that, That's you know? Awesome. And all of a sudden I'm like making yeah. a living for myself again. And, and it was just cool. And I'm learning something. And, you know, I, even though I was like 32, sitting at the runner desk, I knew there were kids behind me that would kill to get their foot in the door like that. And I never took yeah. it for granted. And I listened. And, you know, Joe Barisi was in there, who's a good friend. And, uh, you, know, he's, you know, he's like, you know what? Greg Fiddleman was sitting at that desk not that long ago, and now look where he's at. And I'm like, yeah. And, uh, you know, same with Billy Joe Bowers and Nick Raskulenix and all those guys. Yeah, that studio, for anybody that has not seen the Sound City documentary and you have no clue what studio we're talking about, they should go check that out. But the just epic history and just so many, so many amazing records. Yeah, so I mean... It's a, it's a cool spot to be. Yeah, not a fancy place, but, I mean, <laughs> you, you get, you know, just like that desk and that drum room you know, just unstoppable. If you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button, and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, so starting starting as a runner, like, you know, older than everybody else, do you feel like you were able to navigate people and, like, understand, like, the work ethic to advance faster than somebody else? Yeah, I mean... Pretty much, we had this really cool assistant engineer handbook. It was, it was like somebody had printed it up and like just stapled it together with construction paper, like a cover. It was, <laughs> but it was, it was kind of funny, but really, you know, it just got down to the point. It's like, you know, hey, keep your mouth shut. Talk when, you, when asked, you know. Yeah, And right. uh, just write everything down. It's like, pay attention. Stay two steps ahead of everybody. And, you know, it's like yeah. when you're setting up for your session, it's like, you know, hey, don't just bring out enough mic cables for what the setup is. Bring extras because you never know. Bring line pads. Bring extra mics. Bring mic clips. Make sure there's extra stands. Just you know, just being prepared. So it, that was super cool. Um, but you know, it was funny. 
because I was in Amen and I knew all these bands, like Queens of the Stone Age would come through and it's like, I know all those guys. And, and then, you know, just, it, it, it was just fun just seeing all my friends come through at the same time. So, you know, yeah. like Joe Barisi would come in and he was like, hey man, when, when you're through, you're like cleaning everything up after dinner and sweeping everything and, you know, go ahead and lock it up up front and, you know, come shadow. I was like, all right, cool. All right. So I just sit in the back and keep my mouth shut, you know, it's just making sure I'm reading manuals and understanding how all the gear works. And, you know, then, you know, like when there's downtime, making sure I understand how the equipment works as well, like getting my hands on there. Yeah. Are there any like standout sessions or like experiences that you had working there that you feel like shaped you in a big way? Well, I'm, I was super, or taught you a big lesson, I guess. Yeah. Too. Well, yeah, I'm super lucky because, because when I was there, we were, you know, we were like, you know, budgets were kind of dipping down, but so people would just constantly come in and doing, you know, it was just drum tracking. So they're in for two weeks or if they're tracking a record, you know, Hey, we're in for two weeks and then we have to shift everybody over into studio B and then also get set up in studio A. So there was a lot of times where I'm just working till four in the morning and going home for two hours and turning around and coming back. But, uh, you know, like Fiddleman came in with this band Raymond and I don't know what happened with the schedule, but we had to switch that studio over a couple of times. And that setup wasn't easy. It was like, there was piano stuff. Like it was a whole live tracking thing with keyboards, piano, bass, guitar, you know, the whole thing. But the keyboard player, you know, not only did he have the piano, he had this whole synth setup and we had lines coming back in and out of the control room. And it was it was a wild thing. So having moving that stuff, so we can have you know right at ten o'clock the next day be ready to go in Studio B, was yeah. wild. But then at the end of the week, do the same thing, get back into A, so we can continue on what we were doing. So yeah, so yeah. I, I would say that one. And then there was this Don Smith session, and he it was with Ray uh, Robert Cray, and this is where I was saying about uh, you know reading the music. And he's on tape, so that that was sketchy. But I wasn't the engineer; it was him. But I got asked to do the punch for some reason. <laughs> so anyway, so <laughs> uh, you know, so Jim Pugh, that was the guy. He was rad, and uh, he, he was counting with me. So it was like, all right, in and out, and that was cool. But you know, Don Smith has you know the guy is such a legend, and he made things look pretty easy too. Like he just get on there, and you know, he kind of routed his desk in a strange way. Everyone at Sound City usually, hey, the kick starts at one and then kind of ends at, you know, 14 or whatever for the drum set and everything else. You, have, well, you only have 28 channels, but he wanted the kick drum right near the center position, like all the kick mics, the snare, and then everything's kind of just went out from there. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because now you don't have to lean over and try to hear what you're doing with your kick drum. It's like yeah. right there in front of you. But he had this wild you know, because we were cutting the tape, he had this wild system of, you know, hey, uh, 15 ips, I want the low end to be, you know, within a quarter dB and 50, 50 hertz and 100 hertz and, you know, for the tape alignment. And he wanted an over bias on the, on the top and, you know, a little bump of 10K on the record pad. And I was like, okay. And that would, you know, I had to do that every day. So that was, I would say that was another huge learning thing for me right there. Yeah. Well, just to to know that he was so specific and dialed into what he wanted to hear that yeah. he was giving you specs like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. And that's then we pretty, had to, you know, then we good. had to lock to Pro Tools eventually, and then 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 it was all tools. So, how long were you at Sound City then before you went freelance? I was at Sound City from two thousand one to two thousand six, and my break was it's kind of a two part thing. So, uh, my good friend Miles Wilson who was already the, the assistant at Sound City, got asked to go on tour and be the guitar tech for the Pixies, which is like his favorite band in the world. And, you know, so that created a spot for me to move up. So right. all of a sudden, Nick Raskulanix comes in and I work with him and Mike Terry is his engineer at this point. So, uh, you know, they see my... Uh, my document book and it's elaborate and just, you know, over the top. And they're like, wow, this guy, this guy's going nuts. And then next thing you know, Nick gives me a call. He's like, dude, I'm recording Stone Sour at 606. You want to come over here and help me, you know, record guitars? I was like, absolutely. I'm, you know, I'm friends with all those guys from Slipknot from the Amen days. So of course. And then after that, he booked me for another record and I'd tell Siobhan like, hey, I'm, 
I'm doing a record in April. I'm going to be gone for a month. And then no joke. Like she's like, okay, great. And then I guess maybe she didn't write it down or she was, there was a confusion there in that communication. And then, uh, (laughs) you know, wait, what's happening? But we have a booking. And I'm like, Siobhan, I told you I'm, I'm booked. So, but it was a pretty smooth transition out from there. Then, you know, me and Nick were just doing record after record after record. And it was, you know, it's been super fun. He's another Sound City guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love, there's a, I love studios that have this like community built around them because like anybody that hasn't worked in like one of the big studios, like they, I don't feel like they don't understand that you go to a studio, you kind of like quote unquote graduate and it's always a place you want to come back to first. You're like, you know, the, the Sound City guys want to go back to Sound City. The Village guys want to go back to Village. It's just like where you want to go home to do your record and then you meet all the new people and then yeah, it's it's cool, man. It's like there's I feel bad for, you know, there's so many studios closing. It's just less opportunities for people to get mixed up in that like community mm-hmm. feeling like, do you have any opinions for kids that are like, where can they find that now? If, if they're in like a smaller town or, yeah, so or that's, what? That's the sad thing is uh, you have all these engineers, you know, learning and, you know, they're learning from YouTube or they're taking a lesson. But, uh, you know, it's, it sounds city, you know, it's like, you know, Hey, there's Dave Sardi and he's chatting with, you know, Dave Bianco or whoever. And they're talking about, Oh, Hey, what are you using over there? Hey, what are you using for this? Or I'm dealing with this situation. And, you know, tips get kind of passed around in the hallway and you can go back to work. Hey, that worked like a charm. Thanks. And, uh, you just don't have that now. So, or even in the yeah. control room where the engineer is doing something and then, you know, at the end of the night, you're like, you can ask questions like, hey, you know, why did you do this? And then they give you a little quick explanation. Or if they're already cool with, you know, just sharing, you know, hey, I'm doing this right now. And the reason why I'm doing it is because check this out. And then they give you an example and you're like, got it. And I love that because yeah. that's how you learn. Um, now we don't have that. That, that, that uh, passing down that information in real time just isn't going to happen. Because uh, no. you got kids in a bedroom, they probably have one mic. They're not going to understand the three to one rule yet. I don't know if you know that one. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I do. <laughs> I remember Joe Barisi grilled that into my brain one day, and I was like, "Oh God, yeah." So uh, you know, just stuff like that, and uh, you know, mic placement, and you know, just being wise enough not to. Hey, you don't have to wrench that EQ all over that mic. You could leave it alone. Right. And when you're in a space where you can actually understand and hear what you're doing, then you can have liberties. But, you know, as long as, long as your mic placement's cool, you know, kind of take it from there. But, yeah, it's, yeah, they're just not going to um, get that, you know, just that the information just comes down in real time and understanding how the workflow actually goes with a band. Because it, it's... Managing people. Yeah, managing people, staying two steps ahead of everybody. Like, you know, yeah. like being the assistant engineer. Because then it's just you inside your DAW, and that's it. And yeah, then, and then yeah. you know, it's like, what are you going to go across the street? Hey, do you, are you using Pro Tools over there? No, probably not. <laughs> so it's just kind of like everybody's isolated. But I, I always suggest like, hey, if you can get into a studio like Village or Henson, even East West, Ocean Way, yeah. or uh, United now. But those, I don't think those people are leaving. Not like they used no, to. No, that's like... You know, I think it's come up on the podcast a lot, but that's like one, it's, I don't know, it's like, it's a catch-22. It's like a problem for the people that are coming up. It's not necessarily a problem that, like, are living a really great, like, staff engineer life. But it's tough for the new people because you have a lot of guys, they're great gigs, they're having a great time. Like, why would they leave? Mm -hmm. You know, it just, there's uh, the, the idea of, like, being a runner, coming up through a studio, and then leaving the way that you did to go work for Nick is just less and less common. It was even kind of a little uncommon back when you did it in like 2006 and seven. That was like the tail end of like yep. producers grabbing dudes out of studios and taking them wherever they go. So it's a different world, uh, but the stuff to learn, like you were sitting talking about, and some, this is what I forgot earlier, talking about like being two steps ahead. Like I, I'm doing a session at Henson right now and we, it's just vocals. Yeah, just background vocals. And we were in there on Monday and then we got two days off. We're going back on Thursday. And just this morning, I was like, shit, I hope the assistant took a picture of the headphone mixers because I want those people to have the exact same headphone mix they had on Monday and save us 10 minutes. 
you know, for having to like rebuild it. And it's those like little things like that, that, I mean, I forgot because yeah. I, because I'm out of practice keeping track of all that stuff. And it came to me this morning and I was like, God, I hope he did it. But it's, it's the little things that just make a session go. And without going into those big rooms, you just don't know those things happen. So. Yep. You know, uh, I did a session at this studio on the east side in kind of Highland Park. And, mm-hmm. uh, and they had modded their desk to, they had an Eve desk. They modded their desk to just like, for Pro Tools just to come out one and two, just to show up on the monitors. And I'm like, well, I don't want that. I, wanna, I don't want to have to keep rebuilding a queue system or, you know, the cues or importing session data and doing all this stuff just so that the artists right. can have their headphones. I just want it on the desk. I want to build my mix yeah. there and just send it. They can make the patch from the desk and it goes to their headphone mixer. Uh, and, and the kid was just baffled. Why would you <laughs> want to do that? Because, well, one, I want, it, I want to be able to solo on the desk and hear what I'm hearing. I don't want to have to have everything getting crushed down two channels in Pro Tools. I want to hear it yeah. as it's being, you know, I want to make sure my sounds sound good. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's the, uh, the that's the big console, Sound City. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me, I'm, I'm over here doing the pop sessions. I'm like, why would you want to use more than two albums? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, you know, you want to make sure your drums sound good and the bass sounds good and, you know, just. Totally. Yeah, it, it, it happens pretty fast. Well, you know, I wanted to ask you, you've spent a lot of time tracking bands multiple mic situations with drums obviously multiple mic situations with guitar and like honestly when when i think of like your work one of the things that stands out is just rock guitar sounds like you get guitar sounds that like i can't wrap my head around Mm, you want to talk to getting just amazing guitar sounds with amps multiple mics different heads for like these people that are just using like guitar rig and they all they want to do is have a bunch of vintage amps like what what are some of the things that you're doing that these kids can can hopefully well, do know, one day? Yeah, so, you know, well, one, having a great amp helps. And having a great guitar that sounds good and that's intonated really helps. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, and, you know, you put a 57 on a mic, uh, on, a, on a cab, and you're going to get a sound, right? And it's extremely familiar. And it's like, all right, well, there's other mics. But then, hey, let's start blending some mics and making sure your phases together. And then... You know, start start listening to that. But then all of a sudden, you bring in another amp. You know, hopefully that amp's not doing the exact same thing as the amp you just started with because now you're adding frequencies or combing frequencies that the first amp doesn't have or this amp is phasing out when you blend. Right. So now you're creating something that you can't get from just plugging straight into a head. So, and then you add a third amp or maybe a fourth. But it's, it's all about making sure that foundation is like, you know, as solid as possible, making sure your phase is together. Then you add that next amp, checking your phase on all those mics. You know, I would start with one mic for per cab in the beginning and then slowly, you know, add one more and then see where you're at. But yeah, it's always about trying to get something that just feels massive, you know, w- when you're playing that guitar. Uh, I remember yeah. when Nick and I were doing that first... Alice in Chains record and you know those guys you know we just wrapped up like the the first couple of days of pre-pro and you know getting the arrangements together and we're setting up for guitars you know because Jerry's going to play with with Sean Kinney you know lay down some guitars and so it's like god dirt was such a high watermark for me like just guitar wise song wise and you know that record was just pretty massive and important so Nick and I were like, okay, well, let's start getting this thing together. And, you know, Jerry had this old Bogner Fish preamp. I don't know if you remember what those are. And right, going into uh, a Mesa Boogie power amp. Then he had this, uh, you know, these, uh, the modern Marshalls, like the, then he had like one of the first Friedman heads. And uh, so we jumped through all these hoops and, you know, spent a good portion of the evening dialing that thing in. And then we, you know, when we plugged in the Rampage and ran it through this setup, Nick and I just looked at each other and we're like, dude, it's like, this, this is killer. And that's the sound. It's like that Jerry thing. It's like, there's a lot of, a lot of it going on in that rampage. So, yeah. And then Jerry came in the next day and he plugged in and he started playing through it. And, you know, he was, 
you know, back then he had long scraggly beard and he was pretty surly. Like he didn't just let anybody <laughs> in, but he turned around and smiled. Like he just had this giant grin on his face. He's like, fuck yeah, dude. And, <laughs> and we were like, oh, whew, you know, this is going to fucking work. Killer. So, uh, but you know, I learned a lot doing those records because Jerry, I mean, the guy just can double himself. Like it's like one performance and then he'll triple it. And yeah. just and then just making sure the tuning and intonation is great is you know as great as you can get it because as soon as you start stacking that stuff it reveals itself pretty quick, and then there's going to be yeah. more layers so it's you got to be really careful but yeah so I you know for getting the guitar sounds I would say that that's kind of a huge part of it is you know in listening and sometimes don't be afraid to just use one mic but hey don't just stick that thing right up front give it a foot or two feet you know and oh, listen. Okay. I remember working at Sound City and uh, Pele and Eskil from the, uh, they had produced the Refuse, The Shape of Noise to Come, or, you know, the, the big pop, popular record. And uh, they tried to use every other mic in the studio other than a 57. <laughs> and they came right back to the 57. And, you know, so it's like, all right, hey, you know, if it's not broken, you know. Don't fix it. Yeah. It's, yeah. Best mic ever. Yeah. Serious workhorse. Snare, hat, you name it. Ride. The vocals sometimes. Yeah. Acoustic yeah. guitar. Hi hat's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Acoustic guitar and hi hat. Those are secret yeah. SM57 weapons for yeah. sure. Uh, you know, you were talking about checking the phase on all those mics. Now, for, I'm just going to give a quick primer to, to our listeners that you probably have all these mics coming up on the console. You're probably busting them down to one track in Pro Tools or one track to the tape machine, right? We were busting them per cabinet. So we had five okay. cabinets per track, like per performance. Ah, okay. So there was And multiple like, mics on every cabinet. Yes. <laughs> so you're talking about like, <laughs> there's a lot of microphones going on. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So when you're doing the phase, are, are, you, are you guys out there like moving them inch by inch? Are you just popping the phase in and out 180 and seeing how it feels? Like how yeah, as tight as, it, as tight as we can get it. If we can get that thing to disappear, great. So yeah, okay. just move it. It's, yeah, so uh, huh, it's funny. So I'll take my phone and, you know, I've got the flashlight on it, but I'll have a piece of tape and I'll just mark where, like, because Nick will be like, dude, throw that 50, throw that SM7 on there. Now that thing is like this far from the, the grill, like the, the capsule right. is like, you know, or he'll say, dude, put that, you know, FET 47 over there. All right. So that thing is a cylinder and the capsule's in the center. And then you got to yep. figure out how far back that is. So I had little tape marks for each one. So if I'm using any of those mics on a cab, I got to make sure all the rest of the mics are in a similar distance. Then I'll adjust the phase from there. Like, I'm like, is it tight enough uh. to that 47? Is it canceling out enough? And then is it close enough to the, you know, the dust cover or do I need to pull it out just a little bit more onto the woofer? So it, it was just a lot of work and listening and, you know, but, but at the end of the day, we got it right. Well, and it shows it's this, the size of, of tracks like that. Yeah. Uh, you people have to listen to it to, to hear it. I think to understand how tight a lot of those guitar tracks are, you have to, be, you have to try to make that sound or be given uh, given files to mix and be like, hey, make it sound like this. And you're like, what well, is yeah. never going to sound like this because you didn't do this. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it's I, impressive, man. It's yeah, nice I was, work. I was in a situation where we're trying to get guitar sounds and all they have is an icon. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to need to check the phase. Oh, well, just put a plug in on there. Then I was just, my brain was about to like explode. I'm like, Are you out of your mind? It's like once, once I install a plug in, then there's going to be delay compensation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to have to process that. It's not going to, that's not going to work. Ultimately. Yeah, totally. So uh, that's not my ideal thing. And I don't want to have to like record a track and start sliding a guitar mic around, you know, the guitar take, because they don't have a way to bust things together. So like on this Brighton record, I bust every guitar performance down to one track. So I didn't have to wrangle five tracks per performance. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So to make it easier on, you know, whoever was mixing, which was Joe Barisi. So instead of him dealing with, you know, like 100 tracks, he had, you know, 20 tracks to deal with, and that was it. Yeah, you know, yeah that's right. all. Right. 
That's just guitars. 20 yeah. tracks of guitar. Yeah. Well, one, one more, since we're kind of on a geek out rant, and this doesn't go down very often on this podcast, so people are either like really excited or like confused. Uh, uh, you do you do another trick that I think is is really dope is you'll uh, you'll cut vocals with two mics sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. And yes. then you 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 create doubles. Can you explain that to people and and why? Yeah. So uh, so you know, I, working with different producers, you know, we'll cut tracks with one mic, and we will create doubles and harmonies at, off of this single vocal chain. And when you tighten that stuff up and tune and get everything put together, something really weird happens to the audio. It starts sounding phasey and weird to me. So I, I want to, you know, have another option for a double or a harmony, you know, right there as I'm tracking. So if I do like five or six takes with the singer and I've got two or three mics right there, and they don't have to be phase lined up because I'm never going to... St- stick them together they just need to be in in the room out of the way that way it's like hey i i just comped your lead vocal it sounds amazing and i created your double out of these two sm7 tracks or you know hey i got the you know the ev666 mic up there too and that's got this gritty mid-range thing and that's like this other i was able to comp a, a performance out of that too so all of a sudden i've got without putting the singer through a lot of extra wear and tear on their voice I just captured, you know, three, three or four different performances. Yeah, with different, different tones mic- to complement mm-hmm. each other. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's very cool. I forgot that you did that in, until I was listening to Working Class Audio because I remember you did that on something uh, on a record you were doing with Corey. Yes, at our spot, and I was like, "Why are there two mics?" And Corey yeah. was like, "Dude, check this out." Yeah. and I was like, "This is <laughs> this is genius." Yes, put this put this in the bag of tricks. Um, yeah, man. Well, all right, let's go. Let, let's as we work our way to the end. Let's kind of go back. You've taken ownership and started running Dave's room. How has that changed your workflow or your time? Like, do you have to do studio manager type stuff, or yeah? How's so that going for you? it's funny. So I had a little production space like Corey did, but mine was over right. at Angel City Drumworks, and Jerry and I are working on demos or whatever. And I, somehow we got on this conversation about being a studio owner, I'm like, that is the last thing I want to become is a studio owner. And I'm like, I could not imagine doing that. And then, you know, move forward to 2018. uh, I'm getting ready for my wedding. I have a small little bachelor party with my good friend, Dave Bianco and a handful of other friends. And we're just having a blast. And all of a sudden, you know, two days later, he passes away. And, and I'm like, oh my God. And, you know, so I'm dealing with that. And my wedding all in the same week, do that. And then the week after, I had a meeting with uh, Dave Bianco's boys and his manager and trying to figure out what to do with that space. Because now the, the family is in a spot where they're not engineers or producers and they don't really know how to run a studio, but they, they know their dad loved that place and he put a lot of time and energy and, uh, you know, in, in, into building it back into what it is now and it's a great little spot and so we were offered you know an opportunity to take the lease over and keep Dave Dave Bianco's legacy going so you know I'm like well hold on you know let me crunch some numbers and you know I'm like I think I can do this and it was a lot of you know I don't know if you ever started a business like that in this you know the way the music industry is now Uh, yeah right (laughs) it was just I'm like but it was kind of a no-brainer I'm like Okay, so uh, we just need to come up with this cap of capital. I started the the corporation, and we you know got the bank accounts and the insurances, and you know jumped through all the hoops with the city and the state, and uh, we made it happen. We got a new website up, and you know it was a lot of work. I, we we doubled. You know, I don't have you have you been there lately? You haven't worked there yet. No, I haven't been over there yet. Oh yeah, you've got to check it out. So. I know. Uh, Dave had a cool little setup, but we doubled like the gear. Like now, instead of twenty-four pieces of outboard gear, there's it, there's forty-eight in and outs of you know. It's like there's twenty-nine compressors. There's over sixty something mic pre's in the building, and you oh, know wow. there's you know we have GMLs and uh, Pultec EQs and API stuff, and it's just you know every, all these little flavors at your fingertips, and you don't have to worry about a large format console because everything's you know 
wired up and we've got a, a C24 so you can move pretty quick. Okay, cool. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, so that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like in charge of the books and, you know, I, I try to keep the place booked as well. And so my partner does too, David Sprang, he's great. And, uh, he's been in there a lot lately, but, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, you know, going in there and like, you know, dealing with like, Hey, we've got this cricket just like chirping away up in the, uh, behind this rack. <laughs> it's driving everybody nuts. It's like, all right, I'll get on it. It's like, I'll get, you know, not orkin i'll try to get somebody like this got you know non-toxic chemicals and we'll deal with that cricket and you know <laughs> stuff like that and or like you know hey it's like we're right in front of a bus stop if you ever been at roscoe and lancashire and uh you know sealing up that front door a little more so we don't have to hear the riffraff just on the other side of it because it gets you know it's kind of sketchy and uh yeah but uh you know bianco did a cool thing he paved you know that used to be a dirt lot and a chain link fence in, around that building and now it's a you know it's a walled gated entry and it's a private little oasis right there on the corner so it's it's a cool safe spot to go you know create and just get lost in music that's cool that's awesome is it are you doing a lot of your projects there or is it kind of more being used by people outside of you and it, uh, yeah and it's kind of i want to say semi commercial so uh you know Producers and engineers can book the studio and do tracking dates. Uh, I just got Jay Rustin in there and, you know, he brought this band and they had a blast, you know, so, uh, you know, but I wasn't involved in that. That was just him and his engineer. But uh, I love bringing my projects in there. And I hopefully after this record comes out, uh, get some more projects in there because I love bringing the hard, just the harder rock stuff in. Um, my partner yeah. works a lot with Shooter Jennings and they do a lot of, you know, it's rock, but it's not as heavy. It's not punk, but uh, right, we, just right. had, we just had off in there and I was, Dimitri was just destroying his guitar, cranking his high watt. And I was like, man, I just love it. I'm like, you know, <laughs> I want more of this. He's like, oh man, really? He's like, you don't have lots of that going on here? I'm like, well, a lot of those bands just can't afford to come in to any studio. They're doing all that stuff in their bedrooms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, everybody's everybody's making i mean hey i'm i'm in my garage right now and yeah. i i like i like it you know yeah. everybody's just in their house now it's like i don't know it's really great for people to be able to work and you know, like kind of empowering to be able to make like a, a hit record in like a less than perfect space but if you've been in like those classic rooms and like the vibe of all the records that have been made there and the gear and, and you miss it you miss it a little yeah. bit you know i mean like we yeah. could have a pretty cool like uh we have our assistant, Steve Ullman, he works with Paramount and these other studios around town. But so we have to book him. But when he, he comes in, we having, we're having a blast because, you know, we're, we're all in the same, under the same roof in the same little space dealing with the same stuff. And it's our little home and, and it's fun and, and it's like family. So, uh, you know, yeah. kind of like when Sound City being part of that thing. And it was like, yeah, it was less than perfect, but you know what? There was good people there, and that's what made it. And, uh, you know, everybody worked hard to get that whatever project was there over the finish line, and that was the whole goal. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm trying to highlight some of the issues with credits in the music business, like how it's they're incorrect, how it's hard to find them, how you can misrepresent yourself. Do you have any thoughts that you want to share about credits, positive or negative? Yeah, any, well, anything? I mean... Credits are our calling card, right? It's like, yeah. uh, I remember when Nick Raskulenix just, you know, he did this corn record a few years ago and I heard the mix and I was like, this sounds fucking insane. This is awesome. Like who mixed it? And he was busy. So I'm like looking all over the internet. I can't find any information about it. Like none. Yeah. And I was just, it was such a bummer. But, you know, along with that, it's like even my own credits. It's like you go to Spotify, you go wherever. It's like, I don't know why it's so hard, but you just can't find a credit for, you know, unless you produced the record or wrote on it, your credit's not there. No, that and is it's true. it's disturbing. And it's like, well, hey, you know what? There was a lot of people involved in making that record and they should be properly credited because not every kid's going to know to go to all music or discogs and try to fish out what they're dealing with. It's like, hey, if you're in the moment and you're reading that like album liner notes, if you have the album, great, because it's going to be there. But if you're online right. and you're trying to find the album notes, they're impossible to find. And uh, yeah. it's just, I, I really think that needs to change. And it needs to be, you know, it just needs, it needs to be as important as, you know, the song title. You know, just have that, I, I agree. Have that information there. Yeah. 
I mean, it's coming from Sound City, where like if I were to describe what I understand about Sound City, like the people that rolled through there, they were like the engineer's engineer. Like, the, yes. and now you're talking about engineering credits being hard to find. But like when you were starting out, and when I was like learning to play guitar and like thinking about getting into recording, I could see like the names of the engineer. And then when you can like trace all of those people back to one studio, yes, then like all you should want to do is move to LA and work at that studio. But how is somebody going to know that now that they, everybody they love came from the same place? It, it's a bummer. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's wild. But you know, so going back, so uh, Miles Wilson, the guy who was the assistant at Sound City when I joined, I was like, you know, asking him about like, well, how did you end up here? It's like, well, dude, I just, looked up all my favorite records and they're all recorded at sound city, <laughs> you know? And he's like, so I'm yeah. like, I guess I'll, I'm going to go do, I'm going to try to get a job there. And that's yeah. how that worked. And, and I was like, Oh, cool. But yeah, you're right. It's like, yeah, if you trace all the cool engineers back and it's like, Hey, they all keep going to this place. I guess I want to try to get a job at that space. But I don't know if, I mean, like I can't even get into sound city now and they're supposed to be both open. <laughs> you know yeah 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 no yeah but yeah anyway well i will yeah thank you thanks for sharing my goal is basically to like every episode just have somebody remind everybody else in the world that we all need to give each other credit i mean even to like the art people and the photographer and because there's livelihoods that are on the line especially for like up-and-comers that are like starting to get some traction in their life for the first time and they're like it's happening it's happening and then nobody knows they did something yeah anyway so we've got two questions that i close the show with and the first one is, uh, it's kind of rooted in where the show came from for me, which is kind of like redefining what success was for me. Was there a point in your career, your life that you redefined what success meant to you? And, and did that play into where you are in your career now? Well, yeah, yeah, I get, yeah. So, you know, being an assistant engineer and then moving on to an engineer, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, so now I've got a little bit of breathing room to work on things, other baby projects. And, and having that free time to do that, I think was a measure of success. It's like, I'm not, I'm not working a job I don't want to be at and it's taking me away from the things I really want to do. So I, I, I think that is my measure of success. Cause like right now I'm working, you know, I've got some surprises for next year, but I'm working hard on those now, but because right. of where I'm at, I'm able to take a little time out to do those things. And, uh, you know, and hopefully, uh, they come out, you know, next year and, everyone can hear that stuff and I'll be stoked. And that's, you know, I just love releasing music like that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I agree. It's the, the freedom to do what you want, the projects that you want or mm-hmm. take the vacation you want. Yeah. <laughs> vacation. Big, what are those? Want too. <laughs> <laughs> We've kind of been thing on a, back in the, in the eighties they used to do. Yeah. We, uh, we're like been on the COVID vacation. It's like everyone's just home. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's like, yeah, I've got totally. a groovy life. It's like, I, I get up, you know, I go for my little trail run out in the canyon. I come back and I sit down and I get to work. And, you know, it's, I'm not awesome. scrambling to, you know, be in some office and clock in. And, you know, this is, this is the life I wanted to create for myself. That's dope, man. It's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. And the, uh, the last question is, uh, what right now is your biggest goal that you can share with us? And what's the next small step you're going to take to go towards it? <sighs> My biggest goal is to just really start producing. And uh, that's what I really want to do and start bringing those bands to my studio because I know I can get amazing drum sounds there and guitar sounds and vocals. And, you know, it's it's just a groovy spot. So that's what uh, I just want to take that bull by the horns and run with it because, you know what, it's I love engineering. And this kind of goes back to the credits thing. Nobody really gives a shit who engineers the record. Nobody. Yeah, sad but true, they, yeah. They, want it, they, they only want to know who produced it. And that's all they seem to care about for some reason. But I know it's not true. But that being said, I can engineer. So I'm going to engineer and produce. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe I'll get to mix that too because I like doing yeah, it. <laughs> well, as the producer, I mean, you'll, you'll probably, uh, you'll, you'll determine uh, a lot about who, who does the mixing. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Are, are you going to engineer and produce or do you want to offload that? You know what? I like wearing those hats, both those hats. It doesn't bother me and I can move quick and I don't have to communicate 
with really anybody else except for myself, my assistant, right. you know, hey, let's make sure, you know, before we start the day, let's make sure these things are happening. But we get that stuff happening. Like we'll do the setup before the artist gets there and I'll make sure everything like, you know, let's go back to Brighton. So, hey, we just wrapped up drums and I'm already thinking ahead when we load into Dave's room, we're going to have like these 10 plus guitar sounds at my fingertips when Jerry walks through the door. So it was like, let's set up these amps. Let's get these amp sounds happening. Let's check the phase on all these mics. Let's make sure the, all these other things are routed. And I mean, you should have seen it. I had just a, a tracking template of just guitar tones. So I could just oh, wow. import that thing into my session. All right, these are the main guitars. And the inputs are already routed. They're already color-coded. I know what it's going to be. The buses is, are already there. And you know we were just prepared. So once that's done... I can just concentrate on performances. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and making sure I've got the take and the tuning's good. Yeah. Do you think, uh, because I never end the show when I say I'm going to end the show, yeah. do you think that, um, like, if you're, if you are a producer and engineer, you're wearing both hats, do you think it's safer to stay in studios and setups that you're comfortable in so that you don't have to, like, change brains as often? Absolutely. Because once you're familiar, like, I could... You know, Sound City is a great room. 606 is another room. And uh, Dave's room. I mean, I, it's a Vincent van Hoff control room. And it's, I mean, that control room is pretty amazing. It's like once you figure out what you're listening to, it's, you know, you, you hear everything. You hear all your discrepancies too. So that's the cool part. Going to other studios like East West, I was like, hmm, this is a little confusing. Okay. The Pass. I don't know if you ever worked there. That was a struggle. It's I, like I you, you turn up, you turn it up, and all of a sudden the bass disappears. <laughs> and, oh, no. you know, it was such a, you know, but we took our time. But, yeah, it's, I would say if you've got a couple of rooms that you really know, I mean, yes, work out of those spots. Like, you'd probably yeah. want to go to Capitol. Yeah, that's why I try to make everybody yeah. go there first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Until I mean, you start I going know, to I Dave's know. room, then you'll, like, love it's, that place. And That's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely like every time I'm put in a position where I'm engineering and producing because engineering is like such a core, you know, like long-term piece of my life mm -hmm. that I'll get lost in it. And then as soon as, as soon as I'm like worrying about a compressor, then you're like two and a half minutes into a three minute song and you're like, shit, was that good? And everybody's like, that was amazing. Yeah. And you're like, okay, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but I oh, changed yeah. the compressor. So yeah. let's do it again. Yeah, do, you, know, uh, like, you can do that again. Right. <laughs> you guys got amazing in you one more time. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's, t I, it's tough. So, you know, more power to you for being able to do both. Cause I have, I avoid it. I, I, I'm yeah. Just not so I, I try I'll to be honest. Know, I, I, I try to keep it as simple. The signal flow as simple as possible, possible. You know, if I yeah. do have a compressor there, it's like, you know, while they're in there talking, I'm dialing it in and that, and then boom, and I'll do slight tweaks and then it just stays and then yeah, I don't have to worry yeah. about it again. Because, you yeah, know, unless they're all of a sudden they're going to change the whole dynamic of the song, then that's when another setup goes in. Hey, now this is going to be the wispy, quiet thing. That's totally different, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like exactly. A totally exactly. different gain stage. You got to change your compressor or just use a different one altogether if you have enough. That's yeah. the other thing. That's why everybody needs to have enough. Yeah. <laughs> Come on down to Dave's room. We got 29. <laughs> there Actually, you go. I think we got 32 <laughs> now. But uh, yeah, it's oh. fun. It's always fun. Dude, this has been, uh, it's good to see you again. This has been such a, such a great hang. Um, I'm, I'm coming to your studio now. As, yeah, as, yeah, you got to come down. Off of here. I'm just going to get in the car and drive yeah. over there. <laughs> um, do you want to share with people websites or, or any projects that you want to mention on air uh, before we go? Well, there's, you know, there's a few bands that I, uh, I just worked with. So uh, there's a band, Billy Rubens and the Elevated Enzymes. Just by fluke, a childhood friend of mine who lives in Arkansas uh, just happened to be at a funeral and they were talking music and this guy was like, you know, Paul Fig," And next thing you know, this guy's emailing me like, Hey, I'd love for you to check out my music. And this guy's, I was like, all right. And this guy's stuff was fucking awesome. And I was like, all right, this is fun. I'm like, absolutely. So I mix this stuff and they're, they're fun. Check that out. Uh, cause you never know. It's like, always listen to music one and then two there's uh this band fuzzy will i worked with and i actually got to track them at 606 so i got to actually get back on that desk and you know and that was fun nice. it's like we tracked live for two days and then we went back to my like tiny little 
production space before Dave's room and, uh, you know, finish this thing out. But God, ha- having a blast like that with the, uh, you know, like younger bands that just, you know, haven't been in a big studio like that is super fun. So, uh, you know, if, if you got the time and the chance to, you know, record with fun younger bands, do it because, you know, you might learn something. Amazing. Awesome. Cool. Where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, so uh, Dave's Room, davesroom.net. And uh, then I have a, my own website, paulfigmusic.com. And uh, yeah, and I'm on Instagram and Facebook and, you know, chime in. And I got some people like, hey, could you check out my mix and you know, let me know? And I'm like, hey, you're going in the right direction. I'd watch out for these couple of things. Or maybe your mix is a little too big, <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff like that. It's like, hey, that's helpful. <laughs> yeah, right. That, that's good. That's awesome. Dude, well, thank you. Uh, thanks so much, man. This is like a good, like I said, it's great to see you again. Yeah, Travis. Yeah, we got to hang for real. Like grab a beer. I know. We'll make it happen. All right. And Corey. <laughs> and well, yeah, we'll drag him out here yeah. too. <laughs> so that's it for episode 60. Thanks to Paul Fig for coming on the show and sharing some tips with us. Also, thanks to all of you for listening. If you've been enjoying the show, please consider dropping a review on Apple Podcasts if you have not done that already or sharing the show with a friend. Just text to somebody you think might get value out of it. It would be greatly appreciated. And finally, don't forget to join us over at completeproducer.net. And on that note, I will see you all next time.